Hello and welcome to the Build-A-Bard Workshop. My name is Stephen. And my name is Simon. We're not experts, but we're here to take you through building a character in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. We have a list of rules that we work from when building a character which are as follows. We each build a level 5 character using a random race, class and subclass and see what we come up with. The goal is not necessarily to build the most efficient character, but to build an interesting one. We use standard array, standard racial bonuses, and characters start with 100 gold and an uncommon or rare magic item. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Because we've got to acknowledge that there is a new version of D&D coming out. There is a new version of D&D coming out. And it changes things. I wanted to ask you before we record. Well, let me just open my can of generic cola drink. Generic cola drink. Well, I have some... Delightful Thames Water's finest. Mm. Drinking some lovely raw sewage. Mm. And Steve's got water as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's 2003 vintage, Mike. Yeah. Um, the generic cola drink that I'm drinking is the one that everyone hates, but sod off, I like it. I prefer, I prefer it. it. I prefer it as well. I'm just as bad. Controversies already. I know. Do you want to say welcome to the episode then? Uh, no, I wanted to ask you my question first. Okay. Um, <laughs> Instead of doing a DMs chat as our quote unquote bonus, yeah. did you want to talk one D and D? Oh, that yeah, because that might yeah. be a little bit more, bit more engaging meaty. for the both of us. Yeah, 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 that'd be good. Yeah, I wanted to run it by you. I didn't want to be like, no, this no, is what we're doing next um, week. I think I think that's probably good because the podcast is from kind of a character's perspective. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Builder Bard Workshop with me, Stephen. And me, Frodo. <laughs> Simon, where are you? Come and sit on your bed. Uh. <laughs> Today, we're looking at an Oath of the Ancients gem dragonborn paladin. Yes. How did you find this build? The main problem I had with it was because it's Oath of the Ancients and I tend to concentrate on fluff, I found myself thinking, like, I did a druid last, you know, yeah. done a druid. Also... It is a paladin. We do have to acknowledge that you made a better paladin in the Sorcerer episode. And that was also a dragonborn. Yep. So I think this suffered from a bit of overlap. Okay. For me, at least. I'm starting to really hate paladins. Okay. Because as much as I love your partner's character, Mm. and I think the actual character is great. Yeah. Combat encounters with an Oath of Vengeance Paladin are a real, real sod problem. to deal with. Because she's taken the Hexblade dip as well. Hmm. So now she's like, okay, I have advantage and I crit on a 19 or 20 and it's that fucker there. Yeah. Well, they die. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's Really like, quickly as well. Oh, I've crit. I'm just going to dump a... a dump highest a level smite yeah. I can. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's not great. You do a roll... I did a four. That's a four. Hey, natural one. That means I ne- I don't get to go this episode. <laughs> Skip a go. Yeah. <laughs> don't Just... pass go. Don't collect 200 pounds. I'll be in the garden with Frodo having a poo. <laughs> <laughs> Ready to ship through my letterbox this week. Uh, do you mind if I go first? It's your choice. I'm, I'm going to go first. Because I decided that... I was going to break all the rules that aren't on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, So it's not the podcast rules I've broken. It's everything else to do with dragonborns and paladins. Dungeonborns. Yep, the whole (laughs) kit and caboodle. All of them. So this is Cadis Berentolstadt. 
Oh, I like that surname's got a lovely cadence to it, hasn't it? it Berin Toll something uh-huh. was what it came up with, and originally the name was Cabis. Yeah. And I kind of played with it a bit because it was a perfect jumping off point. It mm. wasn't quite right. Yeah. Berin Tollstat, that came from the Berin Toll bit at the front. Mm. I think I was with a client and they were talking about some of their medication. Okay. And then I heard that. <laughs> I was like, stat, that would do it. That's the mm. That rounds it off nicely. They are a crystal gem dragonborn. Let me give you their background. I chose Phalost. I might have chosen Phalost again mm-hmm. and to do the same thing as I was trying to do last time. So this gem dragonborn isn't a gem dragonborn. Oh. I was looking through Fizzbands, yeah. as I want to do, and my eye came upon the Moonstone dragonborn. The, the Moonstone Dragon. Oh, the Moonstone There's dragon. no Moonstone Dragon born. There's only the Moonstone Dragon. The Moonstone Dragon has a Radiant Breath Weapon. And the Crystal Gem Dragonborn has a Radiant Breath Weapon. Okay. So I decided, what if this was the first ever Moonstone Dragonborn? So this is a reflavored A reflavoured version, but it's still the same yeah. thing. Okay. Moonstone Dragons, for those who don't know... <laughs> are when dragons first escaped into the Feywild. Some dragons went to the Feywilds and stayed there, and they've been mutated over time. They have these beautiful like crests that have like a little horn at the front of their nose, and then it curves round to make like a crescent moon on top of their head. Hmm. And I was like, that's so cool. Hmm. I want to have that. And the idea is they're the very first... And they're going out to make more. And the reason they're over the ancients is because they're from the Feywild. So I was connecting okay. the gem gem dragonborn, not quite. I reflavoured it to connect it to the oath of the ancients and to merge them together. That's quite nice. Yeah, it's not super good, but I I quite liked it. No, it's nice. It's yeah. Nice. Uh, for traits, I can't bring myself to trust most adults. So this character is very young. You know, mm. they, they've almost. Almost mythologically, you know, appeared fully formed, yeah. but but still have that kind of childlike innocence of being an adult. Yeah. Wherever I go, I try to bring a little of the warmth and tranquility of home with me. Oh. Yeah. Ideals. Empathy. No creature should be made to suffer. Going back to that last point about bringing the warmth and tranquility of home with them. Yeah. If it is the Feywild, I like the idea that what they think is warmth and tranquility yeah. is actually just chaos to most Absolute people. Absolute bloody chaos yeah. yeah but to them they're like oh you know we're only having five friends over and it's only a small party we're mm-hmm. only getting a little bit drunk okay mm-hmm. well it's tuesday and i've got work in the morning it's like you can have seven pints yeah it'll be fine bonds i can't bring myself to harm a fake creature either because i consider myself one or because i fear the reper- repercussions mm-hmm. or in this case maybe both <laughs> <laughs> you know flaws i'm always changing my mind well Almost always. <laughs> so, the Fey Lost, I've done this a couple of times. Fey Lost is supposed to be from another plane, got lost in the Fey Wild. Yeah. And sometimes I use it to, from the Fey Wild, lost outside of it. Okay. Which I believe is what Fern is from Critical Role. I yeah, believe she's she got the Fey Lost back. She might be Far Traveller. I'm yeah, sure. it might be Far Traveller. I could have used Far Traveller. I used that for the Arakokra mm. last week. So I decided to do something not too different. Mm. Time for Standard Array. I warn you all, I've made it wrong. Okay. Deliberately or...? Oh, yes. Okay. This wasn't a... I realised very late on that I've done it wrong. But No, no, no. This is good. 
My 15 is in dex. My 14 is in con because it is the law. Yeah. My 13 is in charisma. Mm -hmm. My 12 is in intelligence. Yeah. My 10 is in strength. Okay. And my 8 is in wisdom. Right. Okay. It's it's an interesting spread. Yep. So you've got a 1 and a 2. I put my 1 in dex and my 2 in charisma. Mm-hmm. So that takes me to 16 and a 15. Yeah. And for a feat, I took the Dragonhide feat. Oh, that's a nice one. Increase your strength, constitution, or charisma score by 1 to a maximum of 20. Your scales harden. While you aren't wearing armour, you can calculate your AC as 13 plus your dex modifier. That's lovely. You that can one. use a shield and still gain this benefit. You grow retractable claws from the tips of your fingers. Extending or retracting the claws requires no action. The claws are natural weapons which you can use to make unarmed strikes. So this does actually say that you can use them with a monk, just Mm. to point out. If you hit with them, you deal slashing damage equal to 1d4 plus your strength mod instead of the normal bludgeoning damage for an unarmed strike. Which does make strength-based monk somewhat viable with this. Mm. You'd have to really plan it out. I was just thinking... uh, I was just wondering... If you could interpret the rules of that as, like, if you are a higher level monk, I'm pretty sure the wording on the monk thing that it gives you for an armed strikes is that you replace the damage die, but it doesn't specifically say bludgeoning. Nope. So if a high level dragonborn monk could be doing a D8 or a D10 slashing damage. I don't want to say yes, definitely. I'm it just saying, seems as though from you what can. I remember of the rules, it seems like you might be able to, and I'd be interested to know if rules as written that holds up. Because what I'm thinking is being able to switch on the fly between bludgeoning damage and slashing damage is very useful. Especially if you consider that certain enemies are immune to bludgeoning or resistant to bludgeoning. I mean, that's the kind of the default bludgeoning, yeah. slashing or piercing damage, but this it's an extra option. Yeah, But we're not talking about monks, we're talking about this. I chose as my fighting style the dueling fighting style. And I'm going to do something a bit weird. I'm going to do equipment first. I took a rapier mm-hmm. to start off with. I took the chainmail, but I'm not wearing it. One thing that a lot of people do with fighters, especially dex fighters, is you take this chainmail as starting equipment and then you just sell it so yep. you can buy yourself something else. And a shield with this feat... And a shield, my AC is exactly the same as if I had the chainmail. Oh, okay. And it gives me other bonuses. That's interesting. And I decided that I wanted to feed into the... So one of the names they have for both of the ancient paladins is Green Knights. And I kind of wanted to feel a bit more of that Mm. primal flavour. Yeah. That's a buzzword at the moment. I didn't necessarily mean to use it that way. But that primal flavour, I kind of wanted to lean Mm. into that a little bit more. That's good. And for my magic item, I took the Rapier of Vengeance. Ooh. Which is a plus one rapier, but it has a curse. I thought it was the cursed one. You must succeed on a DC 15 wisdom saving throw whenever you take damage in combat. Bearing in mind I have a minus one to whiz saves. Mm. On a failed save, you must attack the creature that damaged you until you drop to zero hit points, or it does, or until you can't reach the creature to make a melee attack against it. So I kind of like the idea that someone or something, maybe the Queen of Air and Darkness, has given this moonstone dragonborn, mm. this rapier, and like, oh, this will help you. Yeah. I mean, technically, yes, it will help them, but maybe not as much as it should. Yeah. There are no weird tricks, really, other than mm. dragon hide. There are no, as far as I'm aware, interactions or conflicts. Okay. And I don't think you need DM permission for anything. I mean, if the DM is a very strict one, you might need permission to do the reflavoring. 
Um, yeah, okay, but... But apart from that... Yeah, I mean, that's true, that's true. I, I I go, yeah, okay, but actually you're right. But, I mean, as a side note, I mean, I, I think reflavoring things, as long as they work the same mechanically, I don't think there's really any harm. No, I did spend some time trying to get sleep on this character because Moonstone Dragons can put people to sleep. Mm. I couldn't do it yeah. without compromising the build. I spent a long time trying to make a charisma-based dragonborn that mm. didn't take Hexblade. Does Fae Touched give you sleep? Well, I don't know, just look it up now. I was just thinking, like, Fae Touched would obviously really fit. I was going to go for Fae Touched. I felt that we have done Fae Touched a lot. And I also felt that if one of us was going to take Fae Touched, it would probably be you, and I didn't want to step on that. Which is a shame, really, if it ends up sort of... Because a lot of the flavour that you've got on your character is Fae. Anyway, I could take this later. I could take this later and it really wouldn't matter. Yeah. Uh, let me just see if you can choose sleep. Yes, you can. Okay, so it is on there. I probably should have chosen that, but then I wouldn't have had the armor class. And Well, that would give you sleep and it would give you Misty Step. Yeah, but this was more fun. Mm. I wanted to build a different paladin. Yeah. We've spoken at length about my distaste for Polar Master. Yeah. That distaste especially extends to... Polar Master Paladins. And just to clarify, what we've spoken of when we said that before is you specifically saying you love it and you hate it because it's too good. It it's, kind of feels mandatory for a lot of people. Yeah, it's the ubiquity of it. It's, yeah. it's that it's so good, you'd have to really know what you were doing not to take it. Yeah. And I sometimes feel that, and this is, I don't mean this quite as harshly mm. as it sounds, everyone at home. Paladin is kind of a naughty class. A what class? A noddy class. You turn up and you hit things and then you go, that was a good hit. I'll add more damage to it. Yeah. And you also get a little bit of healing. You also get a little bit of other stuff. Mm. But mostly you turn up and you hit stuff. Yeah. Polar Master is a noddy feat that goes perfectly with a noddy class. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, well, I'm level five. I have two attacks and now I have a bonus action attack and I can smite with that as well. Yeah. And it just becomes more damage. And there's a part of me that hates how much 5e is based around my character doing more damage as opposed to the party working more cohesively. Yeah, but I mean, the counter to that, and this is something that's only occurred to me as I've been going through editing, is I think sometimes you can get tied up on what you're supposed to be doing for the party or for mm, the most efficient true. play, and then you don't do the fun thing. It's nice to have a balance between the two. And I feel that Polar Master and Paladin together basically say, no, I don't. I can just concentrate on mm. dealing the most damage possible. And it's kind of fun to roll that many attacks and roll that many dice. And then go, yeah, and I add a smite to this one and add another, another yeah. two dice on top, you know? So, yeah, I wanted to do something a bit different. I spent quite a while trying to get a Casty Paladin working because mm. there's the Blessed Warrior option. And in the end, I went, hey, we've had a lot of dex-based builds. I'll do another one, <laughs> but put it in an odd context. Yeah. Can I just confirm? So you took five levels of Paladin. Uh, five, five levels of Paladin. Okay. I was going to take uh, one or two levels of Pact of the Archfey Warlock. Oh, okay, yeah. To really tie it in and mm. kind of flavour that as the Moonstone Dragon, which is a dragon and not fey, I think. Yeah. And to get more spell slots to do more smites. 
Yeah, and also those two spell slots that come back on a short. Well, assuming you took two levels. Yeah, yeah, probably would. Two. Um, and then you'd also have Eldritch slot. Blast. Yeah. But then you wouldn't have the two attacks. And I thought, do I really want to diverge that far away? Mm. And I have a character who's a Hexblade Warlock. And I do love the Hexblade Warlock. And I do really like the Hexblade Shadow Sorcerer mix I've got going on. Yeah. But as soon as I hear Hexblade Paladin, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit. Because to mm. me, it's like putting Mewtwo on your Pokemon team. Uh, yes, it has the highest base stat total of all the Pokemon. So, yeah, okay, you don't care about playing the game with Pokemon that are cool and speak to you. You care about, yeah, I'm going to do the most damage because I don't give a shit. Mm. And that's kind of how I see Polar Master Paladin with one level of X-Blade. Yeah. Maybe I'm just getting old and grumpy. Yeah, which is the interesting thing about, I guess, Warlocks is they have that dual identity that it's the, you know, the like the Oath of the Ancients, but for Warlocks. So the Pact of the Archfey. Yeah, but they also have like either Hexblade or, you know... Uh, no, no, Pact of the Blade. Pact of the Blade, Pact of the Tome. Yeah. Pact of the Chain. Yeah. Pact of the Talisman. Pact of the what? Pact of the Talisman, which that's a Warlock thing now. That's a Warlock thing now, yeah. everyone. Just Talisman is your pact. <laughs> it's your patron, yeah. Uh, let's have a look here. Have I got anything that's fun? So, as a gem dragonborn, you have gem flight. You can use a bonus action to manifest spectral wings for one minute. Mm. For the duration, you gain a flying speed equal to your walking speed, etc., etc. And you can hover. That's very important. Yeah. Because that means if you're knocked prone, you still stay up and you don't take full damage. That's good. Yes, it is. Uh, Psionic mind, you can talk to someone within 30 feet of you. I have resistance to radiant damage because I'm a radiant dragonborn. Mm. My breath weapon is radiant. I'm trying to find what the earth... Which means, obviously, if you have, like, the zombie horde coming towards you... Yes. Like we were discussing on a previous episode, a lot of DMs, the first bag of minis they're going to buy is going to be undead, probably. So if you've got a radiant breath weapon and they go, ha-ha, here's this horde of skeletons, you go, no, there isn't. Absolutely. Okay, so you get two channel divinities as part of being a uh, Oath of the Ancients Paladin. Two different ones. I thought you meant like you get two points. So I was thinking, wow, that's... No, No, you get two, two different ones. As an action, you can cause spectral vines to spring up and reach for a creature within 10 feet of it. You can see the creature must succeed on a strength or dex saving throw. It's choice, DC 14, or be restrained. It can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns, freeing itself and the vines disappear on a success. Kind of like a a bonus entangle. Yeah, and you also have Turn the Faithless. As an action, you present your holy symbol, and each fail fiend within 30 feet of you that you can hear must make a whiz saving throw. On a failure, the creature is turned for one minute or until it takes damage. That fits quite nicely with that character thing you said about not wanting to harm them. So instead of harming them, you're just like, sort off. Yeah, yeah, go away. Thank (laughs) you. I've had enough of your (laughs) shenanigans here. Yeah. Spells. Bless. Mm-hmm. Command. Yeah. Divine favour, obviously. Yeah. You get ensnaring strike. Okay. I think I discussed that on the yeah. later episode. Yeah. Yeah. Heroism, shield of faith, speak with animals. Mm-hmm. And you get misty step as part that's why I didn't take Fate Touch, because you get misty ah, step as yes. part of it. That's why I didn't. You would get you- a free use, which is beneficial. But it's not as beneficial, beneficial as a whole other spell that you've learned. Yeah. That's why I didn't take it. Thank you for reminding me. And you get Moonbeam. Moonbeam's a nice one. Yeah. And the good thing about that is I've ended up with a balance of 16 in Dex and 16 in Charisma. So I've actually got a somewhat decent saving throw. Yeah. So that means my Moonbeam, if I need to, 
I can sit back and just move Moonbeam around and go, nope, 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 nope. Yeah. You take some damage and you take some damage. Kind mm. of like a um, vengeful Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. <laughs> you take some damage. You do take some damage. Everyone takes, takes damage. damage. Uh, I took heroism for the extra... What does heroism do again? Okay. A willing creature you touch is imbued with bravery. Until the spell ends, the creature is immune to being frightened and gains temporary hit points equal to your spellcasting ability modifier at the start of each of its turns. Hmm. When the spell ends, the target loses any remaining temporary hit points from this spell. I believe it's concentration. Yes, it is. But for each spell slot, you can give that to other people. Hmm. Give that to one more person. So at second level, you can choose two people, and whilst you're concentrating, they get three temporary hit points per turn. Oh, okay. So it's essentially a passive heal in the background. It's not my favourite, but Hmm. I wanted to be different. I didn't want to just take the normal shit so I took yeah. something else and I took Divine Favour this is Stephen's normal shit <laughs> but uh, I took Divine Favour if you were taking this to higher levels when you get third level spells at level 9 you could take Spirit Shroud mm. for an extra d8 to each of your attacks and you would yeah. get to choose between Cold Radiant or Necrotic Damage Yeah, there is no Elemental Eject Radiant so there's no never any way of adding additional stuff to that or making it do extra damage which is a shame but there we go that's what radiant damage gets for being so unresisted. I'm just trying to think if I've got anything else. Oh, by level 5 you'll have divine health, so you're immune to disease. Nice. That is always nice because if you've got a strict DM yep. who's being strict about disease, diseases are an absolute pig to deal with. Yeah. Languages, very quickly, and then I'm done. Common, draconic, sylvan, and I have telepathy. That's interesting. Telepathy is a language. Telepathy counts as a language mm. because it's how you communicate with someone. I wouldn't be surprised if in later editions or in revisions mm. we hear, instead of languages, we hear communication. Because, okay, sign language has language in the title, but it is a method of communication. Language can can also imply yeah, a written form, which it does have... It's I, a I'm, me- I'm it's digging a method- myself a hole here. No, I, it's I don't it, mean it's a method of communication because the underlying thing is, like... BSL and ASL are words from the English language communicated through signs. As I understand it, Spanish has its own sign language to communicate the Spanish language. So sign language is more of a communication method to communicate a language rather than a language in its own right. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we get communication methods in the future. It would be nice. I mean, especially since they've taken that step towards making common sign... I mean, I wish to God internationally there was a common (laughs) Common sign sign language language. because being somebody based in the UK, uh, you know, obviously the people around me that I would learn sign language for, it would be BSL. But you have a whole ASL language that you'll be using to speak to anybody American that you wanted to speak to with it. So, I mean, there is Makaton. Which is sometimes erroneously called BSL simplified. Mm. When it's not, it has some of its own signs. I mean, I'm sure somebody is going to say, oh, there is an international sign language. language. But unfortunately, I suspect it's probably like Esperanto. Esperanto, yeah. French sounds sexier. Sorry. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I'm done. I'm sorry. I, I feel as though I blazed through it and it was a bit dull. It's all right. That is a hammer blow of a segue into mine then. Oh, okay. Okay, so my character is called Zetikrus, which is X-E-T-T-I-K-R-U-S. Right. Because it sounds nice. It was based on the random generator and it it kind of works. The background, I've nicked it, I've done it finally, Urban Bounty Hunter. Hey! Yeah. 
So their personality traits. I am always calm, no matter what the situation. I never raise my voice or let my emotions control me. Because something that occurred to me with this is uh, paladins are cops. I've got a thing in the back of my mind. Yeah. But I'm waiting to see if you get there. Well, as you discovered when you first came in, my, uh, my wife loves watching The Mentalist. And right. there's a, a police officer on there called Joe. Very much the sort of dragnet character, completely emotionless, deliberate, like hilarious character in the way that, that it's done. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love that character. So I, I imagine this as being the very sort of straight talking, right. unemotional police officer. Like I say, dragnet kind of character mm -hmm. i always have a plan for what to do when things go wrong because i also like to imagine this as being the character where everyone's like oh shit what do we do uh, like they're, they're trapped in a room or something and they're like oh shit what do we do and he just quietly takes out a skeleton key and puts it on the table or something yeah That's yeah yeah that, that kind of character who's just like it's all right guys i've thought of this let's just get on with it kind of thing <laughs> I couldn't find a good ideal, so I went with people. I'm loyal to my friends, not to any ideals, and everyone else can take a trip down the sticks for all I care, which mm -hmm. is neutral. So it's, again, not good, not evil, just they're doing what they're doing, mm -hmm. which kind of fits into the other... Is this more of a lawful neutral character? or I think the, the more I think about it, yeah, it would have to be lawful neutral. Yeah, mine's chaotic neutral, I don't think you um, said. Someone I love died because of a mistake I made. That will never happen again. But that's something that would have to be drawn out of them at a later date. Or a character who already knew them would have mm. to sort of mention to the rest of the party as an aside. I doubt they would ever sort of say about it much. An innocent person is in prison for a crime that I committed. I'm okay with that. Oh, right. <laughs> Which that's the lawful kind of thing. So is, that it's, the, it's, is that that kind of like the, the stinger on the character, like that one problematizing? The yeah, yeah. The, the, the problem aspect with it is like, yeah, all the pieces of the puzzle fit. I put them away. And that's fine. I think the only time that they would be bothered by it is if new evidence or a new technicality came out. Right. And I think they might then fight to free the person. But if everything tied up and said, that's the guy that did it, you know, again, that could be a progression from backstory of... Yeah, I put them in prison and everything fits, so I don't care. You could have a progression from that to kind of that moral moment where they decide to slightly fudge the evidence or slightly push things in a way they wouldn't ordinarily to have that kind of turn around and, mm. and do something else. Almost like um the person who got Al Capone done for taxes. Yes. It's sort of like, okay, yeah, we fudged this to put them away because yeah. we know they're a bad guy and the only way we could get them kind is with the of, wrong yeah. thing. Yeah. Similar sort of thing. So maybe it's like their big character turnaround moment halfway through the quest is they find this evidence and they they find something that it inadmissible as evidence or whatever, or it would never be accepted as proof that they didn't do it, but then they have to sort of go, all right, morally, they didn't do anything wrong sort of thing. And then yeah. they have to sort of face up to that. Okay, so 15 in charisma, mm -hmm. 14 in strength, mm -hmm. 13 in con, 12 in intelligence, 10 in dexterity, and 8 in wisdom. Nice. So you're looking at very standard paladin scores here, which yeah. ends up as 16 strength, 10 dex, 13 constitution, which I really don't like. And the next thing I would fix with this character is taking a half feet to bump the con to yeah, 14. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the poo through my letterbox stops. Intelligence 12, Wisdom 8, which I don't normally do it that way around. But mm -hmm. again, there's another thing that I haven't said mm -hmm. yet. And Charisma 16. So I took the Mage Slayer feat. Ah. Because the other thing that I haven't mentioned about this character's race yet is that the gem ancestry I took was Amethyst. Yes. Which gives you resistance to force damage. Yes. This is a character who specifically does not like warlocks. Right. 
They want to be a Warlock Slayer. And how many times have we said, oh, take Eldritch Blast. Nothing resists force damage. <laughs> Very little does, but yeah, this yeah, lad, yeah. This lad does. <laughs> and I like, again, that no-nonsense idea of a Warlock doing Eldritch Blast and it's like, foom, foom, and they're just like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Which the, resi- it's resistance, isn't it? Yeah, it's resistance. It's not negation, but being the one thing in the game that they're like, Oh, that does resist Eldritch Blast. Yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. I like that. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. So, yeah. That also means that their breath weapon is force damage. So they have the flip side of that, which is there's very, very few things that are going to resist a force breath weapon. Blimey. So I think, really, the Mage Slayer comes from kind of the Mage Slayer feat, mm-hmm. where once they do get up close to a Warlock, weirdly with Warlocks, they have the hybrid caster thing of they can cast at range or they can be in close combat yes but they don't really excel i mean they can excel if you build for it but if you a go warlock, explained yeah, yeah a it's warlock that averages it out if you're going to make some uh, warlock that is a melee expert then you have to sort of specifically build for that so in that respect when a creature within five feet of you casts a spell you can use your reaction to make a melee weapon attack against the creature so that's that's quite nice if they're trying to do their warlock thing and, and like spell slinging while fighting you every time they try and cast a spell you just twat them one when you damage, and interrupt concentration yeah when you damage a creature that's concentrating on a spell that creature has disadvantage on the saving throw it makes to maintain its concentration so unless they've given themselves advantage through something else warcaster yeah through warcaster unless they've given but it. even then it reduces it to a single roll, roll. Yeah. you have advantage on saving throws against spells cast by creatures within five feet of you so again if you're right up in their face they decide to try toll the dead less chance of that working so obviously if if you're a caster and you're within five foot of another character if you try to cast a ranged attack so that includes Mm. ranged spell attacks then you get disadvantage on the roll if another creature is within five foot of you but one of the things i've always done is i take ones that have saving throws I always try to make sure I have one that's a ranged attack and one that's a saving throw Mm -hmm. because then you can cast them at close range. But this then means even that advantage is gone. So if you have a caster class who's trying to do that, then they're going to be in trouble. And I very much see this as sort of similar to what Travis Willingham did in the Calamity thing is have like Mage Cop. Mm -hmm. This is specifically mages that have gone bad mages that are a problem yeah and i think if you're going to look at casters that are causing problems and running around being evil things your standard interpretation of a warlock is probably going to be more prone to that you know great old one is going to be telling their patron to do naughty things you've got fey any sort of fey origin is going to be they're just going to be getting them to to pull bullshit everywhere Mm -hmm. you know do you know what's interesting about mage slayer yeah. That really shows where resilient constitution could be seen as better than Warcaster. Yes, it does. Because having mm. having um proficiency in that saving throw and adding a bigger number is sometimes more beneficial when you have a disadvantage. Because when you have advantage, there's a lot of tricks flying around the rule set that can negate that advantage and turn mm-hmm. it into a straight roll. Whereas proficiency is very difficult to have removed. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know if I have any standout skills. I've got six in athletics. Six in deception, six in persuasion, disadvantage on stealth. And I think that's because of armor, which is the adamantine plate. Mm-hmm. So this is very much... Ah, good old faithful. We're going to start mentioning more stuff about the changes in 1D&D. But yeah. obviously one of the most controversial ones that's being discussed is at the moment 
they're saying that DM attacks can't crit. Mm. So at the moment, adamantine plate is quite a nice choice because if a spell crits against you, that's Does it say it? I that's thought it was absolutely only horrific weapon attacks. Let me have a look. Uh, while you're wearing it, any critical hit against you becomes wow. a normal hit. Wow, wow, wow. So in fifth edition, it's not going to be as useful. They might change the way adamantine works mm. because otherwise, then unless you're in a PvP situation, adamantine is then useless. Under the fifth edition rule set, adamantine is good because if if you're a mage slayer, you're trying to take on mages and somebody hits you with, but you know, you're a level five character. If you're taking on other level five characters, there are some real single target shits of spells that they can hit you with. Or that crossbow thing with the rogue mm. that I built the other week, just as an example. If you have a big single target the, the, the spell. The point is, if you have a big single target a spell. A big single yeah. target, target spell and that crits. A lot of the time, if you've got a decently put together mage, you know, that can just take someone straight out. Here's one for you. Eldritch Blast and Agonizing Blast Invocation. Either of those beams could crit. Mm -hmm. And you would add your Charisma modifier on top of that. Yeah. That's going to be really nasty. So you remove the fact that it's a crit and then you half the damage because you're resistant to balls. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So a, a lot of the big... I didn't think of this, but it fits with the kind of stoic, no-nonsense character. It's, it's almost like a, a plane of mechanist thing where it's like, no. <laughs> sort of thing. Just like all of these big stunning, I could do this spell and I could crit and it could do all this extra damage. And they're just like, I don't think so. So the Oath of the Ancients fluff yeah. is about looking after nature and is about being a happy, smiley, bright person. Yeah, And a lot of these features are also using fae-like abilities to keep the fae where they belong and not fucking around with nature. I think that was kind of another reason I found this difficult because I kept thinking like, I've just done Hippie yeah. with the Druid. I just finished editing Crylipsis as I was working on this. So I was like, oh, I've just finished doing a Hippie with the Druid. So I don't really feel like I've used Oath of the Ancients that much in this. That's my one regret. I, I think you have. Inadvertently, maybe. In inadvertently, maybe. Because I was reminded, I never even watched it, but there was a film with Will Smith mm. where he was a fairy cop. Oh, Bright on Netflix. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And this is a much more nuanced version <laughs> of what I saw. But I also like that his oath is never lose the brightness within yourself if you look at the mm. tenets of the oath. And he hasn't lost it. There just wasn't that much there to begin with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, no, I've never lost this. <laughs> There's an episode of The Simpsons where Lisa buys Al Gore's book. Mm. and the barcode gets scanned you see it go all over the planet to a satellite and back and then Al Gore's sat in some office somewhere and they go sir someone just bought a copy of your book he goes well this calls for a celebration and he pulls out a little vinyl player starts playing celebrate good times and then it sings the <laughs> chorus and he goes I will <laughs> and I just love this idea that his upper threshold of emotion is mm. oh that's good well this is it's a bit of a stereotype of people with autism it used to be the idea that they didn't have emotions. Yeah. Now it's more commonly understood that they kind of have to take more of a conscious effort to show their emotions. So it may in be way the, the way yeah. that holistic people understand. Yeah. So it, it may be that this character does have a joy in life and a love of nature and a rich inner life. It's just that that doesn't necessarily translate to their outward presentation. Mm, no, I like that. I just like the idea that this character is just a very no-nonsense. Again, as as I said, 
macho in the mentalist is is very much sort of the idea of this because there are some wickedly funny moments that they play with in that show with that mm-hmm. character where he will just give an absolutely deadpan reading of a line to mm-hmm. another character and it just throws everybody because it's completely unexpected for him. Mm. I have a deep admiration for anybody who can do deadpan comedy because oh, I can't. I just corpse and crack up. I'm, I'm too smiley. I'm worse I, than you. I can't keep a straight face doing it. So no, no. They've got a great sword. Yep. I've, I've always thought of paladins as being sword and board. But I mean, World of Warcraft, one of the specs you can have in that is big two-handed paladin. You know, maxing out the damage that you're doing. That's perfectly reasonable for Paladin to be doing. And the fact that they've got adamantine plate means they've got 18 armor class anyway. That's that's pretty respectable for level 5. It's pretty good, yeah. They've also, if they need to, got a Warhammer and Shield. That would probably be for the point at which they've used up all their spell slots. If things are looking a bit dicey and they need I to sort that. of switch to a, a tankier role, there's less damage output, but they have got a, a shield, so they've got that plus two AC. Well, got, they can switch then from yeah. being taste my blaze to I'll take less damage, please. Yeah. yeah. I'd be interested to see if I've just got the same spells as I you. I don't think it's fully. I've got Bless, Command, Ensnaring Strike, Shield of Faith, Speak with Animals, and Wrathful Smite. So... I think there's one that you took different there. Mm. I know that heroism is on there. And did you say ensnaring strikes on there? Because I've don't... got it. Ensnaring strike is. I think that's you. Just know that. I took divine old... favor and not wrathful smite. Fair enough. Fair but enough. I'm always going to do that. So for second level, mm. moonbeam, same as you, just because I like the spell. Yep. Got misty step, and I took locate object. Makes sense. The for object a that you would locate. Yeah. Is an arcane focus. So if somebody's oh, trying wonderful. not if somebody's trying not to let on that they're a spellcaster or something, or if you know there's somebody wandering around with a book of shadows or a familiar, or they've made a pact with a, a talisman. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody uses pact, pact with a talisman. talisman. No. One day I yeah. will. And yeah. I'll go, No, and Simon, we're wrong. No. I found it. I have found well, the ultimate cheese. But I selected it and then I saw the invocations you could get with it. And there's some interesting things you can do with giving the talisman to someone else. But they're still quite situational. And I think you'd really have to reach to find interesting uses for it. Can I just interject one small yeah. thing? Yeah, I yeah. do apologize. This is this is Warlocks again. I will talk about Warlocks until the cows come home. What I really want is for Pact of the Talisman to be thrown in the bin and replaced with... Pact of the transformation mm. or something where you can transform into a pact of the form or something. Some pact like of that. the form where if you're an Archfey patron, uh, Archfey warlock, yeah. you can gain some Fey like traits or some fiendish traits and then have invocations that are like you can use your charisma modifier for your armor class. And before anyone thinks that would be overpowered for a hexblade warlock, it would not because a hexblade warlock would only then get one attack. Yeah. Which kind of, which then means that you have to balance that a bit more. Yeah. Just looking through some of the extras and the choices that I took took the extra paladin spells means I can get gentle repose prayer of healing and warding bond at second level. Mm-hmm. Harness divine power. Yep. You can get a spell slot back. Martial versatility, meaning I could replace the fighting style. I think for the fighting style, what did I take? Great Good weapon, weapon fighting. Great weapon fighting, yeah. So primarily they're going to be using the Zweihander going a, a bit berserk. Um, that hurt. I oh know. <laughs> I thought it would. I could have said Dark Souls. It's fine. It doesn't need to be on this podcast. I'll cry about <laughs> it later. It'll be fine. We've got some time. Yeah. Is there anything you wanted to discuss? Just looking through, I don't think there's 
anything else that I've sort of got major choices in on my build or anything else like that. Languages and proficiencies, common infernal and telepathy. Did you choose infernal to go after fiendish warlocks? I think it might have been, yeah, because if you have somebody wandering around talking infernal, that might make them go, hang on, let's profile this person. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. Fair point well made. Let's cause a massive problem here and profile this person based on the language they're speaking. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's why I chose Amethyst. Um, I mean, it's force damage, man. Why wouldn't you? In a way, it doesn't really work because I think most DMs would go, oh, all right, we'll just not have a warlock baddie. But oh, I no, think, I would again, absolutely but give again, you a I think if you, if you did this, I think that would be something that you would have to say to the DM, this is why I've done this, and I think it would be hilarious. Like, I would like this character to come across Warlock so that they can do this stuff occasionally, because the main villain that you're going to have in most campaigns is probably going to be a mage. Yeah. I think it's very, very rare that you're going to have a campaign where the big bad turns out to be a rogue. Yeah. I mean, you know, the trailer certainly seems to imply Hugh Grant's character has been clarified to be a rogue. And the trailer says right as he appears on screen, don't trust him. So mm-hmm. gem flight yeah. for a minute. So if there is one round of combat where you want to, you can do the air support thing that we discussed with the Aracocra. I'm not so sure it's great with that. Mind it's you, probably not the best use of it. Mind but you, you've got strength. Did you take acrobatics? Not acrobatics, athletics. Athletics, I did. Yeah. And like you say, they've got hover, so they don't have the problem of, oh shit, someone knocked me out, I'm now falling 120 feet. Yeah. Mind you, it depends how long they're out for. Yeah. I think that's everything on mine. I think mostly it's just making a point, like to me, paladin kind of feels cop flavoured. The difference is rather than taking the investigator or city watch sort of backgrounds, Mm. I thought I'd take the bounty hunter because it's somebody who rather than working for a militia or an army doing this, it's somebody who is like, this mage, this warlock has pissed me off. I need you to go hunt them down. Well, what I was going to actually say about the flavour of that is as your DM, if Mm. you were to bring this character to me, I would of course put some warlocks in there, but Mm. I'd also have you come across like the good warlock the bad wizard do you know what i mean so you're you're still using those abilities but to give that character growth of you can't classily profile i think this character would probably be thrown completely by a celestial warlock Warlock, yeah and also probably the warlock version of uh, oath of the ancients archfey archfey yeah so at archfey because it's fey I think there is quite an implication with that to be like the trickster and stuff. So I think they yeah. probably still object to them rather than feeling a kinship. But I think probably the first time they came across like a celestial, they would be like, hang on a second. Or oh, I flavoured Aaron mm. when I played him as almost a cleric of the Raven Queen. To me, Hexblade Warlock is almost cleric of the raven queen because if you look at her place Mm. in the hierarchy she's been a lesser idol at some points and a a god at others yeah so i like the idea that she kind of straddles that line maybe she is part grave domain maybe she is also Mm. hexblade warlock one thing i did want to do before we break for the first oh yeah i mean what latest suggestion is finish the first half with i think i would play this i would play mine for a one shot maybe a short campaign Really, this idea was Steve is upset he hasn't got to make a zealot barbarian yet. Mm. So I decided to make them as much of a zealot barbarian (laughs) as possible, which is maybe not necessarily the best way to build a character. But to me, zealot barbarian adds the flavour of being devoted to a god and a combat powerhouse 
I prefer that flavour more than I do a paladin. Mm. I, f- I find paladins a little bit too restrictive mm. in how easy they are to optimise, if that makes sense. Which is something that I think we're probably going to go into in no, no, the I, second I wanna, half. I wanted to talk about something. good thing about coming back in is you can pretend we were talking about something interesting during the break yeah absolutely welcome back welcome back everybody before the break you wanted to say something about tenets yes so each paladin subclass has tenets and it is advised that you role play these in your character Mm. i'm going to read through them quickly the tenets of the oath of the ancients have been preserved for uncounted centuries This oath emphasises the principles of good above any concerns of law or chaos. Mm. Its four central principles are simple. So that's kind of the opposite of what I've done with mine then. This oath emphasises the principles of good over those of law. And I've just... But that can be interesting in and of itself. Yeah. Conflict is what makes interesting characters. I guess it's also kind of in opposition to that typical view of paladin. And, And it's also aspirational. Hmm. You know, they can aspire to be this without actually being it themselves. Yeah, true. How they feel and what they enact. Kindle the light. Through your acts of mercy, kindness and forgiveness, kindle the light of hope in the world, beating back despair. Hmm. Shelter the light. Where there is good, beauty, love and laughter in the world, stand against the wickedness that would swallow it. Where life flourishes, stand against the forces that would render it barren. Hmm. Preserve your own light. Delight in song and laughter, in beauty and art. If you allow the light to die in your heart, you can't preserve it in the world. Yeah. Be the light. Be a glorious beacon for all who live in despair. Let the light of your joy and courage shine forth in all your deeds. So, your paladin cop, you know, they're okay with this guy being in prison Mm. that they wrongly put there, but they want to make sure that they don't have to do that again. Yeah, maybe. That they can be better than that. You know, this person was a really dangerous criminal. I did what I had to, and they're away, and that's good. But I fudged the law in that instance yeah. to do something good, like what they aspire to be rather than what they're currently doing, just as a way of preserving that. Because I guess you take the oath at level three. Mm. So in terms of backstory, you could have a character who levels one and two, they were just paladin cop, and then... Level three, where they take the Oath of the Ancients. Maybe maybe they met with Titania or Oberon or any of the other Seelie mm. Court and decided, hey, actually... Or, you know, just an agent thereof. Yeah. Maybe they came across that Court of Eladrin. Yeah, the one that we just completely blazed past. <laughs> well, they're not Fae. They're Eladrin. They're not... Yeah. They're, they're representatives of the courts. They're not... They, they are of the Fae Wild rather than the Fae. Yeah, 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 absolutely. What did you think of the Gem Dragonborn as a race? It's an interesting one. I can see why you thought of them as a separate race to the Dragonborn Dragonborn. Yeah. I still, in my heart, it still feels like I still don't think of them as their own race, as their own separate thing. But I can see that's why they, they, they do feel sufficiently different 
whereas the standard PHB Dragonborn are sort of the typical elements, the typical types of yeah. dragon, things like that. The gem Dragonborn are almost like tacking on the extra dragons that they've come up with in Fizzbands and the extra variety of dragons that Fizzbands has added. Well, gem Dragonborns have been around for a while. Mm. They've been in other editions. Yeah. It's just sort of codified in Fizzbands for 5e. Yeah. In a way, I mean... PHB Dragonborns are the normal elements, whereas these are the weird elements. Mm-hmm. So you do get things like one of the few characters that can have resistance to radiant damage or force damage or things like that. So you can start to kind of get weird and specific with it. It's just how useful that weirdness and specificity is. Mm. Yes, not many things resist force damage but not that many enemies use force damage. Yeah. So it's not that useful a resistance. That's true. That's true. Unless, like you say, you have a character who is specifically going after warlocks, yeah, where yeah, yeah. that is useful. Yeah, of course, of course. Gem Dragonborn feel very different to me because if you look at the lore that Fizzbands try to put forward, Metallic and Chromatic were there at the beginning of creation. Okay. Tiamat and Bahamut were there. And they both created the ruby dragon Sardior, who is their offspring. Sardior is a combination of Bahamut and Tiamat's best and worst qualities, mm. which is why you have these odd elemental choices. Do you know what I mean? These outside choices. And I also like that typically they're neutral, which is why they hunt aberrations, because aberrations are just so outside of good and evil that they're almost sort of an opposite neutrality, if that makes sense. Yeah. If you imagine sort of like, you know, good and evil as the top and bottom of a scale, and then, you know, you're in the middle of that scale, then aberrations are the horizontal axis, axis, which, you know, they are kind of oppositional to the good and evil binary. Yeah, because an aberration is going to kill someone regardless of whether they're good or evil. Hmm. Because they're an aberration. They don't care. They're about subjugation. Yeah. In the case of Beholders, Mind Flayers, and pretty much everything else. I I had to reflavor mine, thinking about it. I did reflavor mine so that it could fit within a specific niche. Yeah. And I also like the idea that Gem Dragonborn are so different that you could use them as almost an aberration of Chromatic and Metallic Dragonborn. So if a Metallic Dragonborn and a Chromatic Dragonborn had a baby, maybe they could make a Gem Dragonborn and have that oddness... Yeah, they are an odd race. I mean, one of the things that I've always thought is weird is the dragon blood origin sorcerers have the thing where they have some scales growing on their skin Mm. and that gives them and mage armor intrinsic. Mm -hmm. And you had to take a specific feat to give yourself that mage armor intrinsic. Yes. I kind of feel like dragonborn should have that. If they're described as having a body covered in tough scales, <laughs> you know how, like, most characters, their AC is... 10 you plus know, dex mod. 10 plus dex mod. I think they should have, like, a higher base AC if they're unarmored, you know? Like, um, glitchlings and things, 13 plus. Is yeah. it auto gnomes? I have no idea. I was just thinking of the, the Dragon Origin Sorcerer and the, the feat that you took about the dragon scales. So that is an extra feat that you can take as a Dragonborn, but it's it's an odd one. I've always felt like in my head, I always think of Dragonborn as having that, which I know is wrong. Mm. But I think that's probably because it feels like such a natural thing when you look at all of the depictions of Dragonborn. I think in that sense, if you were to imagine a Dragonborn without scales, 
you are then heading into like yon T kind of appearance. I understand that, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could just have a Dragonborn. They're going to be a Snurson. <laughs> I hate that so much. Why? It's from an episode of Steven Universe. No, what really confuses me about that is years ago, there was a picture of a bunch of snails that were all in a perfect circle with one snail in the middle. Uh-huh. It was on Tumblr and somebody had captioned it like snail church and somebody else had just replied, snurch. <laughs> and then somebody else had replied to that, Take me to Snurch. <laughs> now, every time I hear Take Me to Church by Hozier, it's just Take Me to Snurch. And I don't know why <laughs> words like that infect my head, but Snurson is now going to live entirely rent free in my head. Well, that's your next character. On. Yeah, a Snurson. Uh, Snurson. <laughs> yeah, yeah Snurson. Mr. McSnurson. <laughs> but the point is that armor thing, I kind of feel like Dragonborn should just have. I find it really difficult to disagree. I think it would it would cause problems for balance, maybe. One, because... one race have an amazing armour class and a breath weapon. Yeah. I mean, they do have resistance to a damage type as well. Yeah, they do, I guess. I, and I, I suppose you could kind of see the resistance being part of the scales. Hmm. Yeah, it's not really scales in the sense of armour. No. It's more their natural ability. To... Yeah. The toughness is there to repel force damage or radiant yep. damage or whatever. It doesn't repel mundane damage in the same way. Just to point out, you can have soft scales if you've ever held a snake. Well, They're... this last Saturday we were playing with somebody who had a... I don't know if it was a gem dragonborn. They did have a dragonborn character, but that dragonborn had taken a knock to the head or something and they thought they were an Aracocra with a skin condition. Their character was just convinced that something had gone badly wrong with their feathers. Well, evolutionarily, feathers do come from scales. Oh, okay. Because, you know, dragons have feathers. Dragons. (laughs) Dinosaurs had feathers. Yeah. Well. And they're an evolutionary adaptation. I think a lot of our stories about dragons probably come from somebody finding a dinosaur skull and going, what the Christ? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this clearly breathed fire. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this massive skull with a huge vertebrae coming off of it. Obviously, that was a dragon. Yeah. By the way, folks at home, if you can find it, there is a couple of videos, maybe even like a mini series, which is essentially walking with dinosaurs about dragons. Mm, I think I've seen screenshots of them. The best part of it is that it's Patrick Stewart doing the narration. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) And at every opportunity, Patrick Stewart says fire. (laughs) <laughs> but he says it in such a way that it resonates through your entire being. <laughs> and if you can find it, I highly, highly recommend that you listen. Don't even watch it. Just listen <laughs> to it for him to go, fire. <laughs> it's really quite incredible. Let's talk about the 1D&D changes. 1D&D is changing the PHB Dragonborn I'm just gonna... to, to update it a little. Yeah. But it is still returning to Breath Weapon being an action and not replacing one of your attacks. So that they're keeping Fizzbands, Dragonborn, as replacing one of your attacks. And I've been privy to, I haven't actually engaged in, some discourse around this. And a lot of people are saying, well, why didn't they just put the one in? Because then that would mean that you wouldn't buy Fizzbands. And despite the fact that there's so much more in Fizzbands than that. And someone else said, okay, well, why not just remove Dragonborn entirely and have the Fizzbands ones? Because then that would be removing a PHB race. And I think what they're doing is they're trying to say... Here's the basic one, and if you want to fit more of the dragon flavour in, you go to the Fizzbands one. One thing that I do think is interesting, they have Dark Vision in Mm -hmm. the new version. They didn't have it in 5e, did they? Which I I was always surprised that they didn't have it. 
by Joe if they don't. I always thought they should do. So in the new one D&D, they do have dark vision with a range of 60 foot, which that's a fairly respectable range. Yes, good. Fairly respectable range for it. Here's something interesting. Uh-huh. Chromatic and gem and metallic dragonborn none of them have dark vision if you want to play one with dark vision that's more like big kobold that's probably where you want to go i mean the ones they've got listed in here are black blue brass bronze copper gold green red silver and white so Mm -hmm. your normal Mm -hmm. ones i've got a beef about that fire's on there twice for metallic Mm. brass and gold are both fire Acid is on there twice, lightning's on there twice, cold's on there twice, poison is the only one that isn't. Brass is fire, gold is fire, red is fire. It's on there three times. Okay, so fire's on there three times, but all... I mean, to be fair, you think of a dragon, what do you think of it breathing? You think of it breathing fire. I think it makes sense that there are more fire types. But give me a lead dragon Mm. that breathes poison. It's green. Green's the only one that's got poison. Yeah, leg dragon. My last dragonborn that I built for the podcast was a green. Mm-hmm. But that's just because I thought poison is a weird elemental type. Because... It's almost not an elemental type. Yeah. It's an elemental type in the sense that it has a separate resistance and vulnerability yeah, yeah. to other ones. But when, when you do poison damage, it, you can either have you're just doing poison damage... Or a lot of enemies, when they do poison damage, you have the save. And if you don't make the save, you have the poison condition. Yeah. So I understand why they haven't given that to poison attacks from players. Because, I mean, just imagine yeah, yeah. being able to oh, just... Um, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll cry. Yeah, being able to just at will give the poison condition to enemies is just... That's a horrible thought. Mm. And that does create a huge balance issue for any dragonborn that can just intrinsically poison I I mean, this is probably a bad idea, but to have it so that either you do the damage or the poison condition. Yeah, that'd be a cool way of doing it. Or like if you're above fifth level, you can sacrifice one of the damage dice to give the poison condition. You know what instead. the Mercy Monk can do? It can give the poisoned condition without a save. Yes, it can. That's pretty nasty. It's really nasty. Mm. Bypasses legendary resistance as well because there's no save. Yeah, that was something that I read when I looked at it. There's some things like that that don't like silence. Mm. You don't get a save against silence. It's just... It's an area, though, isn't it? It's not It's targeted. an area. Yeah. So, in theory, the person that it's cast on can just walk out of the area. I think you can target a person so okay. that it moves with them. A DM I was with chose to silence my bard, which was hilarious, to be fair. Yeah. And I, I went with it because it was like, yeah, it's cast on me. I am the centre of the area yeah, of yeah, silence. Yeah, yeah. And it, I actually kind of thought for a while about like playing with that by moving near to people so mm-hmm. that they couldn't speak. But it's up to the DM, I guess. I mean, rules is written. I think it says you cast it on a point. So whether you say that point is that person's shirt, I'm not sure, 100% sure. We might have to look up rules as written, what it means with like the, how the targeting rules work. So there are two answers to this, really. Looking at page 204 of the Player's Handbook doesn't really offer any clarification in terms of what counts as a target or whether an AoE spell can follow someone. I wasn't able to find anything on Sage Advice with a quick look. I did find a Reddit thread that mentions an old D&D podcast from five years ago where Jeremy Crawford went into targeting spells 
and mentioned that area spells like fireball target not creatures or objects but a point in space then expand to include creatures which the spell then refers to as targets so with that in mind that would mean that you could target say the bard's shirt and then the sphere of silence would expand to cover an area if the bard moved out of that area the target of it would be the point in space not the bard so the sphere of silence rules as written shouldn't follow a person that you cast it on however there's the fun answer and the fun answer i feel goes back to page five of the dm's guide part three master of rules which always says that in any situation like this that isn't explicitly clarified in the rules it's up to the dm to adjudicate that and honestly in that situation it was funny to cast silence on the bard it was funny to have the silence follow the bard around i mean maybe that priestess had a homebrewed metamagic feat that i didn't know about ultimately it's up to the dm and in that situation it was funny but we're straying from the point of some things don't have a save yeah 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 class-wise paladin in D&D now has the divine spell list yeah so they have the same spell list as the cleric in theory well, okay, so here's the important thing to point out about that, because I think there's a lot of confusion around the Unearthed Arcana and what those lists do. Those lists do not replace class spell lists. They are just saying, if you're an arcane caster, these are the spells you have access to. If you're a divine caster, these are the spells you have access to. And if you're a primal caster, these are the spells you have access to. Yeah. So this gives Hunter's Mark to Druids now. This gives divine favour to all clerics now mm. and this gives armour of agathis and hex and there was another one but i'm not going to be able to find it mm. to wizards and sorcerers now so a lot of people are kind of guessing at the moment because we haven't received mm. strict clarifications on this but it seems like it's going to be you have access to for example the divine spell list and then paladins will have their own little bolt-on paladin-only spell list yeah, on top yeah, yeah. of that. But it, it also means that things like Zephyr Strike. Zephyr Strike is not on this list, but apparently no Xanathar spell is. This is just PHP spells. Right, okay. Just to point out. Because you were really upset. that At first you were really upset that you couldn't see it on there. Yeah, I, I had it pointed out to me because I was having a tiz. <laughs> I was having a proper tiz, so sometimes it happens. Well, no, if it's your favourite thing in D&D and then all of a sudden it's not there in the new edition, yeah. I pulled a pouty face because yeah. I really do like Zephyr Strike. But yeah, there are certain spells that now any primal spellcaster gets. This also means that when it comes to making spell lists for new classes or new subclasses and things like that, mm. it becomes much easier to say, for example, this is complete conjecture on my part, the Wild Magic Sorcerer has the Sorcerer spell list, the Arcane spell list, and the Primal spell list. And that means instead of having to write out a huge list of spells that the Wild Magic Sorcerer could... I'm, Choosing Wild Magic and Primal because it seems to make sense. Yeah. Other people disagree with me on that, by the way. So I still, overall, I think I prefer that Dungeon Dudes idea that you were saying about, which was where you get a random set of spells known. You know, that you yeah. intrinsically know. So we're still going to have subclass-specific spell lists. Mm. That's not going anywhere. Yeah. We're still going to have 
class-specific spell lists. That's not going anywhere. There is an hour-long discussion on the D&D YouTube channel yeah. where Todd Kenrick interviews Crawford. Oh, Jeremy Crawford, yeah. Right, and they talk about this, and they said, we're not getting rid of them. Uh, actually, it might have been um, Perkins who, who said this bit. We're not getting rid of class spell lists. It makes it easier to go, here's this group of spells, here's this group of spells, here's this group of spells, so that when we bring out a new book... We don't have to dedicate a whole page to five spells and write out the names of five spells yeah. up to 13 times. We go, this is now a primal spell. Mm. Done. Yeah. That means that it's now available to druids and rangers. Because a lot of the time, the spells that are on the primal spell list are available to druids and rangers. Yeah. And it also means that when we have things like the Divine Soul Sorcerer, the Celestial Warlock, we can now just say, and they have access to the Divine Spell List. Yeah. And the things that belong on paladins, such as smites, for example, I think there is a smite somewhere on the divine spell list, actually. Certain smites, I suppose it might be better to say. Uh, Searing smite is on there, and thunderous smite, wrathful smite. So now clerics can smite, which is not terrifying in the slightest. Do I think it's a quality of life improvement for the players that's going to revolutionise the game? No. Do I think it's going to allow them to use less paper? Mm. and repeat themselves less and make it way easier for me to go, I'm playing a ranger, I now have the entire primal spell list Mm. and my ranger spells. But like you say, it also means it's easier for them to make a new class without having to say this class has these spells. Huge spell list. Like you say, dedicate an entire page of a new publication to here's what's happening with the spells. We're not going to, but if we were to get the PHB, those are big pieces of paper and it's tiny writing, and it's like five pages or more, and half of it's the same shit repeated. Yeah. How much of the cleric and paladin spell list is repeated? Do you get what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. Um... How much of the druid and the ranger? Oh, you get entangled and you get ensnaring strike. Okay, great, but... <laughs> yeah. And saying, like, rangers also now get searing smite, thanks to mm. Tasha's. It just means that your sorcerer now gets the arcane spell list. Which means that you now get access to Hex and Armor of Agathis, which was such popular picks, and people would dip into Warlock for these spells, or take Magic Initiate to get Hex and things. Yeah. Some people, f- I don't necessarily, I, I don't necessarily feel it's a waste. Some spend, people spending, yeah, spending. Some people f- felt aggrieved at having to spend a feat on spells that don't really make sense as Warlock only. Mm. Armor of Agathis, I can kind of see yeah. actually, but Hex. With I place a hex on you. That's something a sorcerer should be able to do. I mean, with this specific combination here that we're, we're talking about spellcasting and paladins, so like the first thing that occurred to everybody when they heard the new version of Magic Initiate, which it does let you recast it using spell slots you have, mm-hmm. so many people just saying, like, you can now have a paladin with shield. Yep. Which used to be able to have a paladin that had shield that they could cast once a day or you would have to take a dip in something else that had shield but here's the thing about that this is more particular to shield than it is to to anything else but it it's kind of leading in the the direction regarding for talking about one dnd yeah taking shield Mm. so that you can cast it as a half casting class doesn't mean that you can willy-nilly cast shield because at level five you still only have 
three or four first level spell slots. Yeah. And even if it is four, I've got a D10 hit dice. Do I want to tank that damage? And I know that that was one thing that I did with the Arakokra Warlock mm. that I did. I took those extra levels in Sorcerer so that I could get Shield, mm. and I had three first level spell slots that I could either cast that or I could use Bless. Or you could use your Warlock spells. You yeah. know, you wouldn't use your Warlock spell slots. Yeah. But here's the thing. One level of Warlock gives you one shield per short rest. Which is and a free huge. one per long rest. Yeah. There are potentially other benefits to taking a dip in Warlock. It would have to be a dip in Hexblade, sorry. But there are so many other benefits to taking that dip in Hexblade. You get, okay, I get shield mm. and a spell slot, which I can smite with or shield with, and yeah. I attack with my charisma. That now becomes... Do I want to take a feat to give me shield once per day and use mm. up my very limited spell slots? Or do I want to get it for free and cast and fight with my charisma and have a shield per short rest? Mm. I'm not saying they're not comparable. They are comparable. But before, Magic Initiate was like that thing that you used to get ritual spells. Yeah. Speaking of limited spell slots, that is always something that puts me off Paladin, is how few spell slots you get and unlike Warlock, you don't get them back on a short rest. It feels a bit punishing. I know that's not the point of a Paladin. I know you shouldn't be looking at them primarily as a caster, mm -hmm. but it does always put me off, is how few spell slots you actually well, have. Well, talking about another Dragonborn, when, when I did the Dragonborn Sorcerer, I said you take your first two levels of Paladin, so you get Smites, and then you take three levels of Sorcerer, and I have more spell slots at level 5 than your partner's paladin does at level 6 or 7. Yeah. And I can use them more readily, and I've got shield. Yeah. And shield for that sorcerer is less of an embuggerance than, mm. than it is for your partner's paladin. Because I think with a spell like shield, it's very tempting to look at it as like, oh, I get the extra plus 5 AC, and that's great. And especially if you're in a situation where you're surrounded, yeah. you can spend an entire round... Because it's until the start yep. of your next turn that you yes. get that AC bonus. Yes. So if you're just looking at it in terms of the calculus of how much damage can the enemy put on me if I don't have shield on? Mm. And how much damage can I put out with a smite? If you're just looking at it in terms of that calculus and your paladin is surrounded, like shield is a really good choice. Because then that's the enemy is mm. doing less damage to you. And on the fly, I think a lot of players are going to maybe not be able to you know do the quick maths it's situational the way you use spells mm -hmm. really this down now also means that bards get shield which they would some of them would take as magical secret yeah let's let's talk about the subclass then yeah oath of the ancients i really didn't know what to do with it which is why i didn't feel like i tied it in i know you said inadvertently i kind of did but i i really didn't know what to do with it mm. and i think a lot of people will probably look at it and look at the artwork and look at the fluff and stuff and just go okay so it's a druid flavored paladin i think that's a pretty mm. acceptable conclusion to come to but get moonbeam but when you read out the the tenets like the christopher nolan film tenet nobody had a fucking clue <laughs> so it's the same as with the Oath of the Ancients tenets, you know, I think people look at it and go, oh, it's a druid. But, you know, reading it about like protecting light and life and, mm. you know, and protecting joy and things like that. It's a really interesting spin on it. And it, I hadn't taken that looking at it. Is it Oath of the Watchers or is it Oath of the Ancients? We were doing Oath of the Ancients. So I was just looking at Oath of the Watchers for another example of tenets. Yeah. So just to kind of move the discussion around, I suppose. Mm. The tenets of the Oath of the Watchers. 
Wow, the Oath of the Watchers, that's me. The Oath of the Watchers. Vigilance, the threats you face are cunning, powerful and subversive. Be ever alert for their corruption. Loyalty, never accept gifts or favours from fiends or those who truck with them. Stay true to your order, your comrades and your duty. You try and say truck after you've said fiends. <laughs> um, <laughs> Discipline, you are the shield against the endless terrors that lie beyond the stars. Your blade must be forever sharp on your mind, keen to survive what lies beyond. The tenets are there as a guide for how you should be thinking about what your character does in the future. Hmm. But Jacob from XP to level 3, we make it sound as though we know him. I've never met the man. <laughs> Go and watch his stuff, it's great. Yeah. He says that he thinks that what you should do as a, a paladin player is choose your oath at level 1. Then you're working up to taking that oath at level 3. Seems like it would make sense with what I was saying before about you take the oath at level 3. So I just had a paladin who had none of this stuff and then just at level three it's like yeah that's what i'm doing now yeah and you can flare it as like they were working towards that or they just have a complete switch at level three absolutely if, if you had it at level one i think it would give the character a little bit more flair yeah at level one and two rather than just uh, i'm paladin i'm paladin okay so it's another thing to point out the oaths aren't specifically tied to a deity yeah they might suggest some but you could be an oath of the watchers paladin with druidic flair and you could be an oath of the ancients paladin with cop flair as mm. you have now is it easier to just lean into the druidic flair with yeah. oath of the ancients yeah. absolutely but think about this character what counts as ancient for a human paladin how long has that city stood there how long have you been worshiping certain idols i mean we're, we're talking slightly reflavoring here but what is ancient even then i mean when a dragonborn is thinking about the time scale of when dragons existed, you know, maybe that's their ancient, maybe that's yeah. the ancient law that they're protecting. And that's why, I know I reflavored quite a bit, but that moonstone dragonborn idea that I had there, a moonstone dragon can live for donkey's years mm. because they're in the Feywild and time is the sort of yeah. fleeting concept. Time's a weird soup. Yeah, time is a weird soup. So a moonstone dragon in the Feywild and you're swearing an oath to uphold their natural tenet, yet you are a new thing. I'm still filling in those tenets. Mm. He's still a flute-playing dickhead the rest of the time. Do you know what I mean? He's yeah. still kindling love and light and joy. And that's great, but that can also be aspirational. So, mm. and, and with your character, you know, he might be really, really dour. And him then taking the oath of the ancients because he sees the, the beauty of nature or the beauty of ancient things... Mm. And wants to protect those. Yeah, well, I mean, there's... Uh, oh, I think it's the Welsh poet Dylan Thomas said something like, be boring and plain in your everyday life so that you can be violent and original in your work. So, <coughs> Yeah, nice try. It was Gustav Flaubert. Maybe that's his thing. Is he's just this sort of, like, dour, no-nonsense person because, you know, all of his energy is making sure that there's joy and, and beauty in the world. Well, let's expand that concept slightly. How many people go to work and they're super professional human beings? And, like, you know, when you're at work, you know, this person's work is making sure that, that warlocks, especially, my, my interpretation was especially fiendish and fey patron warlocks, mm. stay the fuck out of my cities because they just cause trouble. Right? Yeah. You know, maybe they're living in an ancient city. Maybe they're living underground in Menzo Baranzan 
or something similar. No, this is ancient. This is beautiful in and of itself. I mean, something that's just occurred to me there is like you talk about it as like work and then clocking off, which that's quite a modern concept. I mean, like Paladin, it's weird because I see it as like an occupation that they do clock out of at the end of the day. You know, they go home, they take their armor off. Yeah. (coughs) and whatever whereas like a warlock i kind of see them as just like from the second they wake up to the second they go to sleep they're doing just a a side thing i was thinking about the different classes like a druid to me doesn't clock off a druid is always yeah they're always doing druid stuff whereas like a fighter or a paladin they definitely get to the end of the day and they hang their armor up and they're like turn the sending stone off i'm not in yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) well well, how many times in our game has your partner said that my character's going to take her armour off, do a bit of meditation, wander around, cook yeah, some breakfast, or, yeah. or whatever she's doing, and, you know, not have her sword on her and not be the knight in shining armour, quote-unquote, for that period of time? Yeah, I think we had the whole thing where we were doing, like, the the politics session where we were in that place where we were doing all of the... <laughs> Which literally only me and you enjoyed. Yeah, we were doing all of the sort of, like, social role play and stuff like that and there was the ball and mm. things like that and that was our paladin was just walking around in a lovely pretty robe mm. for the whole time rather than armor yeah. so but which again that's the advantage of your uh they can never be caught without their armor because they are their armor they are their armor yeah yeah multi-class options i feel like anything that would give you more spell slots or warlock because you can throw into constitution you can get your short rest spell slots and things like that i think that's a good choice anything where your spell levels will go faster than a paladin's would might be an idea you can do bard you can do sorcerer you can sort of fudge it with warlock if you want yeah there's fighters good for this for once not just for the first two levels action surge second wind you know, higher levels of fighter things like like battlemaster things on a paladin is yeah, really, really really nice. Nasty. Yeah, yeah. There is a feat for that, but it's not yeah. as not the same as having battlemaster. Yeah. Can you get two fighting styles from two separate yes. classes so they don't counteract each other? No, so, okay. you can have the defense and the dueling. Yeah. Or if you really want defense and great weapon fighting, or you can have defense and interception, which means if anybody is stood next to you in a fight. You've got your choice of reactions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, interception or protection. You can take both of those. My wish one day is to play a paladin that is Oath of the Ancients and Archfey patron warlock Mm. and have the gayest, feyest time. (laughs) (laughs) It's just wandering around being ridiculous. Yeah. I think there are some combinations that can go quite nicely with it, like a celestial warlock feels like it would go well with a paladin. Yeah. Um, if we're talking about other paladins, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think there are some problem ones, like Great Old One might be difficult to flare with a, a paladin, unless you did something specific like Oathbreaker and then uh, started I, I don't leaning see into any the reason thing. why you couldn't be Oath of Vengeance and a Great Old One. A Great Old One's no, been yeah. locked away. That's true, yeah. You're, you're avenging them. I mean, if you really want it, I would probably say, yeah, you can reflavor your smites as doing necrotic damage. Hmm. Yeah. And technically, if you took Eldritch Smite, you would be able to do anyway. So I, I think reflavoring that to take necrotic damage is probably fine. Yeah. Uh, not very good against undead, but, um, <laughs> you know. But then, I mean, you might be able to dip into your historical paladin knowledge and still do the Radiant Smite yeah, yeah, you yeah. wanted. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. On the rare occasions when you need to, just kind of 
swallow your pride and borrow a bit of divine energy. Oh, yeah. Well, the Oath of the Crown from the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide is you have sworn a holy oath to a crown and somehow you've borrowed some divine power from somewhere to make sure this Mm. happens. It's divine in that it comes from your devotion to this course. I mean, I don't think I've mentioned it before, but there is a quite a popular homebrew, the Oath of the People. Right. Which is basically just communism. Right. It's like you represent the land and the common man and the working people mm-hmm. and you defending all... It, there, there's loads of things like that. Ages ago, I did a paladin which was Oath of Vengeance, but the vengeance was specifically against capitalists his backstory was he was from a mining village that had (laughs) like russian accent dwarf oh the lot yeah i i personally i think russian is a really good choice of accent or that sort of cyrillic accent yes uh, is a good choice because nobody's going to get it right unless you're intimately familiar with the russian accent you're probably going to end up accidentally doing like a bizarre mix of the two opposite ends of russian you know, <laughs> yeah, si- yeah. You know siberian moscovite accent uh, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, something yeah. that makes no sense but yeah he was sort of his mining thing the workers all tried to band together and mm. unionize and the union was crushed and then he's kind of very sour about all of the people that died in this rebellion so he's out taking revenge on things like that i think Reflaring oaths as a paladin is something that can really give you a, a window into a character mm-hmm. but rather than just looking at like okay this is what the oath is this is how it works is thinking okay how can i do something interesting with this oath and i think you can really get an interesting character out of that i've got one for you uh-huh what if you were to rewrite your tenets and you were the oath of ancient law so the ancient law that's always been part of this land, no mm. warlocks. Could be. That would be... Yeah. I think working with your DM to rewrite tenets and go, look, this is the spell list I want and this is the features that I want. I just want to reflavor it slightly mm. and go, okay, well, you're going to have to rewrite your tenets so yeah. that we have a framework that you're working from Yeah. and that if you break these tenets, the Oathbreaker in, and that's mm. a conversation to have with your, your DM and your DM should have with you about, you know, I will take your glass away if you break your oath. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> not that I would do that specifically, but... Yeah. You know what I mean. I mean, like, in terms of the traits, bonds and flaws, I think a lot of the time when I've been putting characters together, the reason that I've put in a custom trait, bond or flaw is because by that point, I have such a clear idea of who the character is. I look at the list of things that are there and I think none of these fit the character that I want to do. So I end up writing my own. And I think that's a good sign when you get to the point of knowing a character that you want to go to your DM and say this specific part doesn't work for my character. Can we change it so it fits more with this thing that I'm doing? Yeah. yeah. I think that's a really good sign when you've got a character that you're thinking about to that extent. Do you know what? That's really good for DMs. I like that stuff because that means that then I don't have to write a whole heap of lore about something else. Yeah. I can go, okay, you've done half the work for me and now I can just change the church of Flibbity Gibbet to these people who do this thing. Mm. done that's so much simpler and then i make the chief of liberty gibbet chief priest of liberty gibbet who really really doesn't like warlocks Mm. and also really doesn't like tieflings and you go okay you know like already i've come up with ideas from you saying 
Yeah. Let's reflavour something. Mm. I'm listening to a lot of Brennan Lee Mulligan's Adventuring Academy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. E- even the first episode of that, there's, there's so much in there where he says he's... I know most people who play D&D won't think about it to this extent, but he's always mystified when you have like a DM is sitting there creating this world and the players just turn up with whatever characters they've created. Yeah. And it's like... If you want to create a really good experience for everyone, having that thing where you go to your DM first and you say, okay, this is the character that I've got. These are the things that I want them to be doing in the world. Because if you turn up with crusty McClown Pie to the first session or something and everybody else has gone like, you know, Grimdark Bloodraven. Yeah. Those two characters are going to have issues working together yeah, at, the, yeah. at the same table. And that can be fun in and of itself yeah, yeah. for a one-shot yeah. or something. But for a whole campaign, what do people call it? The emotional whiplash of going between the two yeah. sides can be a bit like, oh, God, I'm tired yeah. now. But even then, I think sometimes when there was a meme I saw ages ago on Reddit, and it literally was that, like, level one, they've created this clown who their gimmick is they throw custard pies at people. And then it's got level 15, and it's got him, like, holding the door to a temple open. He's like, run, run, you fools. And they're like, no. No, Krusty, I never got to tell you. And he just goes, I knew. (laughs) I always knew. And then drops this door. Yeah, you can start off with a a character that is a joke. Yeah. And you will probably end up having like big emotional beats with that joke character if that's the direction that everybody sort of turns out to want. When you're working with your DM to Mm. create something, when you take a paladin's oath... Yeah. If you wanted to play a paladin and like, look, it's the right feature set, it's just not the right flavour, mm. we could reflavour it together and it'd be something really, really good. Yeah. Let's talk about party composition. I think party composition with a paladin, we've talked about it so many times, to the point that there's a couple of episodes where you've said, I've got to stop saying paladin when you're talking about the melee fighter that you're loading all of your damage buffs on. But it's there. I think that's what they excel at because that's if you can load like them. all of this extra damage on, it means that when they do crit, they can slam a smite in there as well. I think smites on their own in their current 5th edition form do present a balance problem because it is a wadge of damage that you can just decide to put on when you hit. With a spellcaster, it's like, I am going to attempt this. So I'm mm. going to attempt mm-hmm. to hit them or I'm going to get them to make a save and they might take a huge chunk of damage. You still have to hit with the weapon. You do still have to hit. Like you say, if you're rolling to hit and then you roll a crit, that creates like this huge wadge of damage. With wow. paladins, with one D&D, that's changing. Yeah. With paladins, though, the problem that they present, and this might be a bigger problem in one D&D if it's balanced so that spells can't crit, It does present this extra problem where fighters, it's kind of out of their control when they do the extra damage for a crit. For rogues, it's out of their control when they do extra damage because, you know, you can't choose when you crit. For a paladin, you can just choose to do the extra wadge of damage on top. But you won't be able to double it. You won't be able to double it for a crit, no. But when you compare it to a fighter who just hits... They just do their damage dice and it's limited to what their damage dice can do. If you have a paladin who just hits, they can then decide, oh, I'm adding smite on top of that. And I'm going to make that a level two spell slot. So it's a huge smite on top of that. Even if they can't double the smites. When the paladin rules, if the paladin rules come out and they say you can't increase the damage of a smite on a crit. So you can't like at the moment you can kind of if you crit, 
as a paladin, it's almost insanity to not throw the crit in. To yeah, not, yeah, to, the, the, to not the throw smite the smite in. in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Whereas in that, in the future, it's going to kind of be if you can't increase smite damage because of a crit, it's going to be interesting. The way, the thing that occurred to me is then you have fighter is just you hit, you do the damage. Rogue is you hit, you almost always do the sneak attack damage. Yeah. So you've got a fairly constant extra you damage have to on think the about, hit. You just have yeah. to think about how do I get advantage yeah. or, or sneak attack. Yeah. With Paladin, it's going to be, I can burn a spell slot to do the amount yeah, yeah, you yeah. do is based on a dice roll, but it is pretty much guaranteed extra damage on top of what you do. Whenever it's 2d8. You, whenever it's you a minimum of 2 and a maximum of 16. Yeah, whenever you choose to burn a spell slot to do that extra damage. So it instantly sets up an, a difference in the identity between the way those classes attack mm. or the way those classes look at their extra damage. Would you be surprised then if we saw you have to use a bonus action to put in a smite? I don't know if I'd be surprised because I feel like the bonus action economy is something that I think they definitely want to start playing with. One thing a lot of people have gotten a bit confused about is some seasoned players, when they're joking about what's going to change in 5th edition, is they've been joking about the fact that there are going to be multiple actions per round. And that's a joke about how there are a lot of things in this edition that seem to be drifting Pathfinder Woods. Right. And so some people have been jokingly put three actions per round because apparently in Pathfinder, I don't know the specifics of how it works, but apparently it can be interpreted as you have three actions per round in Pathfinder. I think, but doesn't movement take up one of those actions? I think it's something like that. Yeah, yeah you movement, can do three things within six yeah, seconds. If you stand still, you can do three things. But if you want to move, you have to action move and then you have to action do something else and yeah. i think that there might be a bonus action slot on top of that as well but i don't know the specifics of it Me i will either. probably have to look it up but the pathfinder handbook is massive and i can't be asked um <laughs> yeah i've just looked it up i mean there's extra stuff like advanced actions and combined actions and it looks like there's a bit more to it but that is the gist of it is it really big the version of it that I've seen is fairly huge, oh, but wow. it, it's yeah. kind of getting into that like Gygax 1.5 edition. We have to cover every eventuality with like a paragraph sort of thing, mm -hmm. rather than having general rules that can be applied to a broad number of situations, which I think is something 5e is trying to do. I think it's very successful at it's as well. It's doing its best at hitting that balance. And I think there's not everybody is happy with it. And people will always pull up specific situations that don't work or are weird, where you need specific rulings so that it makes sense. But I think it's doing as good a job as it can as being a more generalized rule set than something hyper specific but let's take the fighter paladin a fighter still gets action surge and can decide mm. i'm going to action surge this turn yeah. and do another attack or another two attacks or at mm. level 11 another three attacks mm. i think that's something that i've been overlooking a lot yeah. is tricks like that because I I always think about that and I think well yeah but you can only do it once per rest a lot of DMs don't seem to know about short rests or they don't really employ short rests unless they've got a warlock in the party as the game has become more and more story focused and less and less combat focused there is a move away from multiple combats per day and a move towards one or two big combats a day so that when we're playing for example mm. you go into a dungeon 
and there's a guy, he's in a chair and he's laughing at you and he's like, ah, taste my minions and he brings mm. out horrible slug tongues. I don't know, I'm making yeah. stuff up now, but that's your first fight and then you've got a trap room and then you've got another fight and then you've got the boss, mm. right? That is opposed to 40 room dungeons, each of which with different traps and that you're playing one dungeon for weeks upon weeks upon weeks upon weeks. Yeah. And I think that if I were to start doing that, my partner would actually lose a lot of interest. Because even though she likes combat, I think if it was just combat after combat after combat with no character interaction, that would become really dull really quickly. I mean, I've said before, playing Skyrim, you know, when we have to do a barrow or a dungeon or anything like that, it's just hand the controller to me. Same as inventory management. It's like, you do it. Yeah. You know? (laughs) You've got the brain for it. Yeah, I, I enjoy inventory management. I know I'm that is a too. really, really sad thing me to too. say, but I love giving the controller back and saying, like, right, you've just got healing potions now. I've, this is a huge diversion, but I've been, been all, all over, over the map. I've been all over the map, but none of the merchants have any gold left. <laughs> I've sold all of the potions you had lying around, all of the trash. Everything else is back at your house being guarded by Lydia. You've got a clear inventory. You can just go out and do whatever you want. And mm. then she looks at a quest list and she's like, Ah, I've got a barrow to do. So she doesn't like endless meat grinder dungeons either. I think they can be fun as part of a thing, but you can very easily just do, well, you're in a castle or you're in a big mansion that's got pretty pictures on the walls. So spoilers, this year's Spooptober is essentially going to be a meat grinder. Mm. But that's fine because it's supposed to be scary. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, there's a really big enemy or some big enemies or a wizard or whatever okay now we've got to deal with this yeah. and the next thing you have to deal with is a puzzle and then surprise here's this boy again mm. you know <laughs> like yeah oh dear that's not nice future of the build i would take the archfey warlock and yeah run a mile with it. so you would get your aura of protection <coughs> next level yeah i would go for that that's been really useful in our yeah game. oh yeah this yeah. is why i fucking hate paladin Aura of Warding. Beginning at 7th level, ancient magic lies so heavily upon you that it forms an eldritch ward. You and friendly creatures within 10 feet of you have resistance to damage from spells. Wow. That's horrifying. How do you get past that? Because everybody just then sits in the paladin bubble. Well, I, I guess you have, like, ranged weapons, you know. You then have to switch all of your enemies to using just a shitload of bows. Yeah, but, like, that's half damage from fireball. I can't believe that. That's, yeah. that's horrible. It's not the same as magic resistance. You do mm. not have advantage on saving throws. You just have resistance to damage. Yeah. And some people misread this as you have magical resistance. Okay. At 18th level, the range of this aura increases to 30 feet. That's fairly standard for most paladins. Jesus. Yeah. At 15th level, when you're reduced to zero hit points and are not killed outright, you can choose to drop to one hit point instead. Once... Is that per long rest? or? Yeah, long rest. Okay. Oh, additionally, you suffer none of the drawbacks of old age and you can't be aged magically. Oh. It would be fun to put wild magic on that, wild magic sorcerer on that, because then you can make (laughs) yourself really old. Let's talk about the 20th level paladin feature. Go on, then. It's per oath. It's Mm -hmm. actually an oath feature, which is rare. At 20th level, you can assume the form of an ancient force of nature, taking on an appearance you choose. For example, your skin might turn green or take on a bark-like texture, your hair might become leafy or moss-like, or you might sprout antlers or a lion-like mane. I've already got one. Mm. Using your reaction, you undergo a transformation for one minute, you gain the following benefits. At the start of each of your turns, you regain 10 hit points. Whenever you cast a paladin spell that has a casting time of one action, you can cast it using a bonus action instead. 
fuck? Enemy creatures within 10 feet of you have disadvantage on saving throws against your paladin spells and channel of divinity options. Jesus. <laughs> so all the smites that come with... Um, is it thunderous smite where you can knock people about? I think it is. Yeah, yeah disadvantage on that. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Well, you got a gem dragonborn. Yep. So you can fly. Yep. So you can do that trick of... Oh, yeah. Picking them up. Uh, and then they drop and they drop prone. And take a <laughs> You dive bomb them. Yeah, yeah take a <laughs> shit ton of damage. Man, it's nasty. Yeah. It's really nasty. Okay, our little summary bit here. Pros and cons. Pros of and your cons build. of mine specifically, I think f- I would have fun role playing it, I think is the major major pro of it. And same here. Apart from that, I think I would only play a paladin in a campaign where you're advancing through the levels fairly quickly if you're playing it on the time scale that ours is which is like a reasonable time scale to be getting your level ups mm-hmm. it really feels like a long time to get those extra spell slots for a paladin it feels like a long time before you get those things i think for any other class it feels like you get your level up and you get big exciting things and stuff whereas with a paladin you kind of like yeah i've got another level it's every two levels you get a spell slot. Yeah. So it's every two levels that you become more paladin. And it's an odd one. What's really interesting is I was watching the, the Dungeon Dudes latest video where they made the absurd character. Yes. And they said you get the thick end of fuck all from one level of paladin. Unless you take it at first level to get heavy armor proficiency. But you could take fighter and also have second wind. Yeah. And I'm just not convinced that paladin is a dip... You have to take two levels. Yeah. And with everything in Paladin, you have to take two levels. And I think that's a real kick in the tits. I mean, just looking at it, you get Divine Sense and Lay on Hands are the only real first level things that you get. It's five points of healing. Yeah. If you're only taking that first level... level, That's pointless. Yeah. And then two levels, you get ten, which is actually like a healing potion's worth. Well, at second level, you get your additional Paladin spells... You get your fighting style, you get your spell casting, you get your divine smites. Two levels of paladin is it's a good awesome. dip. Two levels is worth it. One level is... Pants. Take fighter not, instead. You're not really doing anything because you're not even gaining... You don't not, get a fighting style. Well, you're not even gaining that sort of like progress in your spell levels. Uh, I think if you took one level of paladin, one level of ranger and one level of... I think they explained that it does progress it, but it's such a tiny Mm, progression, it's it's inconsequential. Yeah, you could take one level of Artificer and it would do just the same. Yeah. (laughs) Or, as you've pointed out before, one level of Sorcerer, and you get more spell slots, you get your cantrips. You know, Paladins is a spellcaster, unless you take, is it Holy Warrior? Blessed Warrior. Unless you take that Blessed Warrior fighting style you don't get cantrips. All of no. the spells you're casting are spell slots. spell slots and you really don't have that many spell slots. I, I was going to bring a casty paladin with the Blessed Warrior mm. and I went, nah. Yeah. It's too difficult to make work. Yeah, It's doable. It is doable, but I mean, mm. it's not fun. Pros of my build, Yeah, you are going to be able to carry so much shit for your party because you're not carrying armour. Because mm. I've got the dragon hide. That's the thing, if you get woken up during the night We've said it many times, if you get captured, if your stuff gets taken off you, if you encounter a rust monster, nobody should encounter rust monsters. Don't put rust monsters in your game. Don't do that. You are so lucky I haven't put rust monsters in. Yeah, I I was going to have them eat all of your paladin's shit. I remember from 1.5, I remember reading about them and just thinking like, 
I can't think of a situation where that's anything other than punitive. The only reason I can that's think, why I didn't do it. The only reason I can think of putting a Ross monster in the game is if there is a player who is annoying everybody else and breaking the game with an item, mm. you take it off them with a Ross monster. But that's like can't eat magical items. That's the only thing that I can think of really to do it. It's like the discussion we were having about in previous editions where you would have a stat point drain where you would have like either a stat drain or a maximum HP drain. Having them come back on a rest is fair, but I hate the ones that persist through re- through rest. I just the one where you've then got to track down a priest or someone's got to learn greater restoration or they're just annoying. Yeah, it's not. They're just annoying. Um, but then again, if you're setting up for that survival campaign, hmm. then you and the people you're playing with are obviously trying to go for that survival flavour. And this extra problem, quote-unquote, becomes part of the fun because you're all in on that flavour. Or again, if there are rumours of a rust monster and you've researched the dungeon and you know there are rust monsters in there, you buy some quarterstaffs before you go in. Yeah, they can't eat magic items, by the way. Okay. Um, At least the 5e one can't. The pro of both our builds is you're a paladin. Yeah. You've got two attacks, you can smite... Con, you're a half caster. Really, not that big a con. I kind of see it as a con, but I think that's more of a me problem. I kind you, of you like your spells if, though. I mean, it would be taking the piss to respect my monk again. And I think even if I did do way of four elements, which I know you're laughing at the, about that at home, but Please I don't, don't care. Do but that's what I mean. Even if I did respect into that, I think I would just be like, yeah. I think I need some casting in a class, and maybe a paladin would be a good way of doing that. I think the law behind paladins has been expanding, so you don't have to be just oh, I'm paladin virtue and shit. You know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't have to be that paladin anymore. You can there's different types of paladin, yeah. but I think it does require a certain direction for the character playing a paladin. I think a, a paladin to me always feels. So, so, so restrictive. Mm. You're either going to be a great weapon fighter or sword and board. And people will go, oh no, I've done something where I was using a quarterstaff and something else. You know, I'm like, okay, great, you, you managed to find that flavour. But it's so much more difficult than going, yeah, I want a ranged ranger or a melee ranger. And then mm. within that, you've got a strength-based ranger. You can have a thrown weapon fighting ranger. Yeah, It would take a bit more work. But it doesn't take as much work to step slightly outside of type than a paladin. A paladin takes so much work to do that. Mm. And admittedly, there's the Hexblade dip, and that's always going to be there to give you blasty bollocks and you tack with charisma. But even then, that's the one other thing you can do. Yeah. I mean, if if you are having trouble thinking of character tricks, like thinking of it essentially as different cop archetypes, you know, like I was thinking you could have a paladin who, not quite Oathbreaker, but the sort of... 40s noir detective where they used to be a cop and now they're a private detective and they're a bit broken and they're a bit world-weary and cynical. Wouldn't that be so much more fun as a rogue? Sneaking around and using your investigate like a mastermind or an inquisitive rogue. Could be, yeah, but that's that's something that I like about fifth edition is things you, you're not as things like as things that. like yeah, sneaking yeah, yeah. and lockpicking are no longer restricted to they're no longer rogues only. Yeah. So rogue then becomes like a mechanical thing about the sneak attack and the way you fight. Yeah. Rather than being a thing of locking features yeah, behind something, yeah. You unlock doors, you steal things, stuff like that. 
better options. I mean, when you were describing Oath of the Watchers before, oh, I love Oath of the Watchers. that sounded to me like that would be a better choice for the character that I've done. Mm-hmm. Like the, the sort of stoic cop type character. Don't I mean, you, you said Green Knight particularly. There for, is for the ancient, of the ancient. Yeah, scene. there is on Netflix the film Green Knight, Knight that you know won all of these awards and everyone's talking about like how beautiful it is and everything. But I mean, you've got right there. That's that's yeah. Oath of the Ancients Paladin. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I have been. Yeah, come on, mate. Go on. Send the show in it. Come on. I have been toying with the idea of offering your partner Oath of the Watchers over Oath of Vengeance because mm. I don't feel she's getting the best parts of Oath of Vengeance. Yeah. I really love Oath of the Watchers though and I don't want to be like you should play my favorite subclass. Vengeance, I think Which it isn't. Ancient Vengeance is my I think but. was literally the notebook that I've got downstairs there's one of the pages in the back which is like these are the features you get from yeah. this. These are the features you get from these different oaths. We just wrote them all down and I read out like mechanically what they were and what sounded most useful. And she went, all right, I like that one, that one and that one. And then I read out the fluff for them. Uh, and I think she decided to go for vengeance just because it fit with what she wanted from the character. You know, she wanted somebody who was sort of protect the little guy, fight yeah. the people who need fighting for and... In that case, you know, taking vengeance on someone who's wronged someone else is like, that just fits for the character that she wants to play. What would you take from the other build? I've gone a bit brain wrong and I've just completely blanked everything you said. Oh, don't worry, that happens to me all the time. I do apologise for if I can only remember like snippets of what you said. That's right. In terms of what I would take from the other build, I think, again, I don't feel like I put that much thought into the mechanics of it. And in terms of how it interacts with the Oath of the Ancients. So I Mm -hmm. think I'd probably find a way to transpose the personality that I've got, because that's what I really like. I would find a way to transpose that onto the relation that you have to the Oath of the Ancients. Mm. I mean, I built it wrong because I don't like paladins very much and I wanted to do something different. And even then, it's not that wrong. I think that's it with 1D&D coming out. I think there's a lot of these classes that over the course of the series we've said, oh, I have a problem with this, I have a problem with this. I think it'll be interesting to see how these things change, whether they change for the better, whether they change for the worse, whether just the way they change works and that's Mm. just interesting in a different way, you know. I don't like paladins. I'm not fond of them and I think I know we moved it to the first half, like would you play this? I would probably play that personality as an investigator rogue or as something else i kind of put that on top of this to make the paladin Mm. interesting i know we haven't said it in this episode and we have said it in previous ones in first edition paladins had to be lawful yes and i think the legacy of the paladin as the archetype has always been affected by that yeah people always think of paladins as the lawful one or yeah. You know, the one who, when your rogue steals something, they then, you know, Chop strong, hand off. strong arm the rogue into handing it back. Or if it's like first level and they don't know the rogue very well, they try and drag them to the guard going like, it's what my character would do and things. I, I think oh, God. paladins still, I think, run the risk of playing to archetype too much. Yep. And that can kind of yuck everyone else's... It, you run the risk of yucking everyone else's yum if everybody else wants to be the chaos party and the paladin is like no drinking, 
cock blocking the bard, things like Can't that. Can't bend forwards because of the stick up their ass. Yeah. Yeah. Next week, we'll probably be discussing some one D and D stuff. Yeah. That we haven't discussed here. Yeah. It should be fun. This is the season finale. Yeah. I suppose we are going to move to another season soon. Mm-hmm. I don't know where, how much of a break you want to take between seasons One or whatever. But thing that I wanted to suggest is when we're rolling for the next season, yeah. we repeat the classes, but we try not to repeat any races that we've done in the first yes. season. Because I think then, like you've said before, there are so many stupid races uh, in 5th edition now that there's only 13 classes so we don't want to repeat the classes within a series we'll do a different class each thing and I think if we try not to repeat any races we've done in this yeah. that means we can start getting into things like Grung Tortle yeah. uh, or High Elf Wood Elf I mean there's mm-hmm. permutations of things that we've yeah, got yeah. cool so have have it so that like we won't do Drow again no but we might do High Elf Wood Elf Sea Elf. Oh, we won't be Aladrin. Sea Elf, Wood Elf. Yeah, we won't do Aladrin again. Shadok High. If we get an elf, we then remove elves from the pool. Yes. So we, so we only have like one elf per season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, okay. I totally agree with that. That might be a good way of doing it. Mind you, Aladrin and Drow are so different. I think we got away with it. Yeah. But I understand. Anyway. We're still learning. We're going forwards. Yeah. Um, It's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Simon, for putting up with me for two and a half hours a week. Yeah. It's absolutely fine. Well... Thank you so much, everybody. It's been a pleasure to uh, record this for you. Mm-hmm. All Almost 400 of you. Well, oh. it's not all 400 of you. It's 20 of you, but we've got almost 400 listens. And that's... It's the same guy listening to it 400 times. Seek help. You heard the man, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> You're a good boy, you are. This has been an episode of the Bilderbard Workshop with myself, Stephen, Simon and Frodo the Dog. All properties and settings belong to the relevant parties. Produced by Stephen Simon and edited by Simon. Music is Dancing at the Inn by Kevin MacLeod and is available at freepd.com. Follow us at anchor.fm slash builderbard, at builderbardpod on Twitter and TikTok, facebook.com slash builderbard and r slash builderbardworkshop on Reddit. Thanks for listening and have a lovely game.